I think fundamentally, if you start everything with the who is your target customer and how are you providing them with value, like a lot of problems get solved from there, right? It's not really fundamentally about the tech, it's about what value are you providing to the users. And, and so I think from that perspective, you know, the specifics around how to grow, how to onboard people, how to monetize, like a lot of that gets a lot easier when you have a tangible value that you can easily explain to people and that people see the value and experience the value. And, and it's not just something they're told, but something that they actually um, kind of see in practice, the better. And so I think that's the lens that I wish more entrepreneurs took, where it's less about the tech and it's less about innovation. It's more fundamentally about what value are you providing to your target customer. Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a TED philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest in today's podcast is Max Kala, the solo GP behind Double Down, a $30 million consumer Web3 venture fund backed by LPs from A16Z, Paradigm, and Alexis Ohanian's 776, as well as consumer-focused LPs such as Paris Hilton and Sarah Blakely. Max is also building a fantastic team of female LPs around her and is making a real contribution on so many levels to Web3, to women and emerging spaces as a whole. So without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, Max. So you've become a bit of a legend uh, in, in the industry. Uh, when I was coming to consensus, everybody was like, you definitely need to talk to Max. And I was like, where is Max? And then there was like, you know, you, I knew that you were going to be at the World of Women event. And I came there and I was like, show me Max. Everybody was telling people, show me Max. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about your story, your journey to becoming um, who you've become in the, in the industry. So well respected, you know, with a little bit of your background and story um, and how you ended up becoming a VC in this space. For sure. Um, it's, first of all, you're way too kind. Uh, I don't think I'm in the legend the slightest, but, uh, but I appreciate it. Um, I've come to Web3 from a very different angle than a lot of people. And I do think that in general, in anything, uh, you know, differentiation is key. And, and this was a very kind of natural differentiation for me because I've come from a traditional consumer industry. I've worked with uh, and invested in consumer companies across all categories, apparel, beauty, restaurants, hospitality, gaming, sports, media, you have it. Um, and so coming to Web3, I kind of arrived at it from a consumer behavior perspective. Humans fundamentally care about control, about privacy, about ownership, about kind of shared upside, all the things that Web3 promises. Uh, and, and it felt very natural to me that eventually that's uh, where the world is going to go. Um, and at the same time, I felt that a lot of the industry um, doesn't necessarily have appreciation or understanding of how consumers operate and make decisions. And so coming from that background of, kind of building consumer brands, working with consumer brands across categories, and in particular working on marketing and branding and go-to-market strategies, things that I think are um, not natural kind of strengths for typical crypto investors. It was a natural differentiation for me, which I think is kind of what allowed me to, to um, kind of get my reputation in the industry. Um, I, as I mentioned, been investing uh, my whole career in consumer, uh, but mostly late stage. I was at Bank Capital on the private equity team. 
and absolutely love the experience, learned a lot, but realized I wanted to be earlier stage. I wanted to be investing at the kind of intersection of different emerging technologies as pertaining to consumer. Um, so I joined the family office of um, Bank Capital's chairman and the Boston Celtics owner and was investing kind of on his behalf uh, while figuring out kind of my big thesis in where consumer is going. And that's how I fell into the Web3 rabbit hole um, three years ago now and uh, haven't, haven't come out of it, decided to launch the funds to spend 100% of my time on that thesis, the intersection between crypto and consumer and mainstream adoption. That's amazing. So how do you feel about that move right now that we are in the bear market? Um, I think one of the things that has become quite apparent is that it's a very, very different environment when you are in a bear market because of the hyper-financialization of crypto, uh, NFTs and tokens in general. Um, it's, it, it's encouraging a, a kind of behavior from a game theory perspective that is not necessarily always conducive to building consumer brands. So in a bear market, that becomes even more obvious. In the bull market, it was like, okay, it's up only, but in the bear market, it's different. So do, do you ever wake up in the morning and kind of regret that you made that, that uh, choice? Uh, I joke about it all the time, but no, no regrets. Um, I think it's one of those things where... Uh, there are pluses and minuses of both conditions, right? In a bull market, um, everyone is excited. Everything is up and to the right, but also the signal to noise ratio ends up being pretty poor. I think a lot of people in bull market are in it for the wrong reasons. And then it's really hard to actually um, kind of understand whether you have a product market fit because it's so easy to get people to buy into whatever it is you're selling because everyone expects the number to keep going up. Um, and, and, you know, bear market, obviously much harder conditions, especially now it's not just the crypto cycle. It's also macro. It's also regulatory. There's a lot of kind of reasons that uh, make this a tough environment to operate. But at the same time, it is a very good time to for actual like real builders. They don't have all the distractions. They're kind of thinking through uh, what actually makes sense from a product standpoint, because you can't come to market right now with something that's kind of half-baked and expected to do well. And so as a result, I actually think it's it's harder to get something going, but then if you do, like you have something very real uh, because um, it is an actually stronger kind of test of the product market fit if you can get the customers and you can get traction in the kind of conditions that we have right now. Um, so do I wish that we were in a, a little bit more a positive environment? Sure, but also, Fundamentally, I just have conviction in kind of these first principles of why crypto, why big, uh, Web3, why decentralization. And it will probably just take a little bit longer than uh, I kind of initially expected. Okay. So when you think about the use cases of um, Web3 technology for consumer product services, where do you see that coming in most? For example, we had this like little mastermind group, me, Zanaka, and Carly Riley and uh, NFT God, the four of us. And one of the recent conversations that we were having was around this idea of the hyper-financialization and, and how uh, it fits into what is the use case of these NFTs or these tokens. And we were talking about this, that we think that probably the best use case is for reward programs and less for straight up membership. Because the problem with straight up membership 
is that you still need to be able to monetize somehow, right? And and if you give away a token, like that's your product. So think about if, you know, in this age of Web3, where people are like, they want utility for, for the rest of their lives just by buying a token, right? And and it doesn't work. So like if, if Starbucks said, buy this one-time NFT and you will get coffee for the rest of your life, it wouldn't work, right? Like it just, they would go out of business. So people need to understand that. And, and also creators, you know, it, it doesn't work. Like one of the mis- mistakes that I made, well, maybe not so much a mistake, but it was an early, early experimentation. So for our platform, at first we had like an annual subscription. And then when we brought out our Genesis Pass, we were like, okay, people who emit this, they will get lifetime access. But in retrospect, that was a mistake because, you know, then we just literally just shut down a recurring revenue, right? So so in this spirit of Web3, where people are like, okay, if there's a subscription model, then you don't own the token. So, um, you know, so that goes against the, the crypto, um, you know, thesis. But then how is a business supposed to sustain itself, right? So I guess the question here is, what is the best use case of a a token and you know whether it's a fungible token or a non-fungible token in a way that that the business can still sustain itself well i actually think it's two separate questions there is the question around utility and kind of use cases and specific kind of functions um of nfts and then there's a question of business models right and i think yeah. the um the first touch on the latter on the latter point um we don't yet have sustainable business models in Web3 and NFT. if you, NFTs. If you think about um, for a lot of people, it has been actually a straight SaaS um, revenue subscriptions that kind of people building in the ecosystem. There's very little about Web3 about their business models. For NFTs in particular, to your point, um, the one and done model doesn't work, which has uh, because it's only one time the revenue stream and with the secondaries, even if secondaries were enforceable, if you think about the total volume of transactions versus say, you know, 10% cut of the secondary, you still need to do a lot of secondary volume to kind of have a recurring revenue that can support a growing product and a growing community. And so even if royalties were enforceable from a pure business model standpoint for a company, I still think like the map is actually really hard unless the product has Kind of native um, tradability associated with it, right? So Rare is a good example of that. It is a game that has tradability at its center. And so the average NFT uh, for Sorare actually exchanges hands a lot more um, than just like a collectible. And, and so it can make more sense from that perspective. But like it is fundamentally a really tough business model to make work. So then you had people who are experimenting with seasonal passes, right? That's basically how Fortnite in, uh, monetizes. It is a seasonal pass and you get access. It is not a Web3 example, but that's how people have um, kind of started it out where, uh, you know, the NFT grants you access for this period of time, a year, and then you have to buy a new one. And and uh, But within that year ownership, you can sell it and trade it. So if you don't want to be a member anymore, you can kind of um, pass it on to someone else. Um, so that's one way people are kind of trying to both give the flexibility of NFTs while still trying to have some recurring revenue associated with it. Um, and then obviously uh, for, you know, all the companies kind of had ICOs and then essentially, I mean, CryptoPunks were a prime example of that. Um, there's no snow um, commission and they just retained 
uh, uh, punks that uh, in the treasury they were like selling over time as price appreciates. That also has some um, so kind of uh, pros and costs associated with that. And if you think of like fungible tokens, uh, similar, you retain some in a treasury and you hope that the value of the token appreciates over time. And so you can kind of sell them more to the market. But then eventually that math also breaks. Um, um, I guess it depends like how you think through the economic model. And so um, it's still very much an open question, right? Like what is the kind of the best way to sustainably um, run it? But I think people have now fully recognized that you can't just sell NFTs one and one, one and done and expect to have a healthy business model. Um, and then completely separate issue is this, what is actually the best utility and, and kind of the value they're providing to consumers? Because the reality is, if you're going to provide a lot of value, you will find other ways to monetizing too, right? It's uh, ancillary products, it's uh, additional mints. Like there's a lot of different things you can do. If people like genuinely love what you're doing and find value in it, um, you will find other ways of like monetizing it as well. And I think we have kind of this dual problem right now where the Web3 native business models are very emerging and early and the utility and use cases are very emerging and early. And then on top of that, Actually, the things that you would want to like most experiment with and kind of find most interesting are also probably the things that are toughest from the regulatory perspective. And so all in, it is a, I would say this, it's a very tough time to be building in this space and trying to, to figure that out. On this loyalty piece in particular and kind of rewards, I am bullish on kind of tokenized rewards, especially as a way of getting multiple brands to work together or to have um, kind of like a brand profiling associated with that, right? Like if I want to target people who are customers of a specific brand, I can do that without having that brand having to share their customer files because I can just target holders of that brand's NFTs. Like there are a lot of interesting things to do around that, but I actually think the more interesting place um, is customer acquisition versus kind of loyalty. Retention is a very important problem for both traditional brands and Web3. But I think customer acquisition right now it actually uh, is a more interesting play and kind of how can you use rewards and customer profiling and all those other things um, based on the wallet transactions to target customers for, for acquisition. I think we're just scratching the surface there right now. Super interesting. Okay, so when you say that we haven't cracked the business model yet uh, in, in Web3, I think we have seen from Moonbirds, you know, to uh, like Yuga, like everybody is trying to figure out, I mean, Yuga has done drop after drop and, you know, somehow they've managed, I, I think they're a bit of an anomaly, um, but in, in the case of most other NFTs, we are finding that it's extremely difficult to build a sustainable business model. And it, it was interesting because I was actually at an interview that Carly was doing with Frank God and Kevin. And Frank said, actually, we don't want sustainability. Like we don't, we don't want a sustainable business model. NFTs are not about being sustainable. They're about hype and excitement. And I guess that's one way of thinking about it. So I'm more on the side of I want sustainability because I want to be able to build a business that that will last and that you can, you know, evolve and, and do a longer term thing with it. Yeah. So as a VC, how do you deal with that? Because you know that the whole Web3 business model across the board is not cracked. And that's an unsolved problem. So I'd love to hear how you go about thinking about yeah. that. 
I think it's one of those things where um, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent web three native business model necessarily. I mean, there's plenty of categories. Uh, I mean, especially around you know payment processing and other transaction processing. Um, if you can have, if you have a product that it's uh, kind of volume driven, you can just take a cut of every transaction, and um, that is very sustainable business model. It's also not web three native, right? It's not just crypto; it's related to crypto. It is not exactly a kind of an NFT or, or token driven business model. So I think we kind of we have plenty of other business models that 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 work, and sometimes it's a combination of some web web three. Um, and traditional business models. So like with NFT projects, and I haven't invested in any um, kind of NFT projects uh, specifically, uh, but I feel like um, my mental model around it is the NFT itself is kind of your core community and it's as much about the brand building and engagement and rewarding your earliest users by the appreciation of the NFT um, as it is about like the product. And there are so many other things that you can do around it. If you think about it more as a media property or a brand uh, where the NFT holders are your like early community and they are your kind of survey respondents in, you know, air quotes, because it's mostly done through like discord conversations and community feedback. But if you think that's fundamentally about um, fan engagement and your monetization and your business model will like come on top of that from selling products from creating content from organizing events and kind of monetizing the entire ecosystem around it with rewards given to the nft holders but also um, kind of selling access and passes to other people like that starts to make more sense because if also if you think about your kind of classic nft projects from you know 2020 2021 2022 even um 10,000 holders, 10,000 users, that's not exactly a large customer base, right? Like we, in NFT world, selling out at 10,000 uh, units is a big success. In the real world, that is a drop in the bucket. And so um, for a lot of these companies and these projects, it's not just about what is the sustainable business model for this particular cohort. It's also how do you scale? How do you grow? I think Doodles are doing a, a good job when trying to figure that out, how to expand the kind of the Doodle universe and Doodle perks and Doodle brand awareness to people way outside of their original holders. Um, and I think that's the mentality I like because um, it's at the end of the day, you're not going to have any meaningful impact if you're going to just stick with your 10,000 users and try to have a sustainable um, and kind of perpetual model on those alone. Yeah, 100%. That's from the perspective of the the builder, but from the perspective of the holders of those NFTs, they really don't like it when you start open opening up to other people and, you know, uh, expanding the community because they feel, you know, I think partly it's a supply and demand, right? Especially because mm -hmm. the, the whole NFT space and, and the whole Web3 space is shrinking. It, it's, there's no two way about it. It's shrinking at the moment. It's not growing. You know, like even with our business, I'm thinking basically... There are like two options. Either we open up to a new market, you know, go out and, and start opening up to Web2 people, or we have to 
try and merge it with another bigger community, another bigger kind of project, right? So either we stick to Web3 or we're like, okay, no, we are going to open it up to outside of Web3. So it, it seems to me that the, the right thing is to just open it up to a bigger market because eventually, so what, what we are doing, we're going to go for uh, Web3 adjacent um, markets, like the AI communities, the gaming communities, the, you know, more like other educational business and coaches and podcasters, you know, that that type of like more content creators type uh, communities. But then it means that we have to build new um, functionalities that goes beyond just token gating. So we have to start creating a whole new set of monetization options for these platforms. Uh, and, and then that opens up a whole new type of business model, but then that puts Web3 communities sometimes off. Sometimes they, they're like, oh, so it's not a fully Web3 you know, experience. So it's like, you can't have it both ways. Web3 is not growing. So if we say that we are going to be just Web3, well, Web3 is not like we can't, we don't have enough, a big enough pool of market to, to get a share of that market. And if you do open it up, then it becomes 2.5. So, so there's that battle as well from a creative perspective. How do you recommend a creator or an entrepreneur building in this space deal with that sentiment? Yeah, a lot of us. One, I actually don't think that, they, you know, I wouldn't say that Web3 is not growing. It's just not growing as explosively as it did um, during the, the bull market. Um, it is a funny issue because if you think about like why communities get upset about kind of expansion, it comes from a scarcity mindset. And it's scarcity mindset that has actually been uh, born out of experience, which is you have a project that sells a certain number of NFTs and then they keep selling more and more NFTs because it's a little bit of the NFT Ponzi where, you know, in order to fund um, perks and benefits to the first wave of holders, we need to get more money into the ecosystem. And so we're going to keep expanding. And so you have more and more holders that you have to serve. And it is an actual like Ponzi-like dynamic, right? Um, and I don't think that, is, that's not what I mean when I say like you have to expand outside of your kind of initial holder cohort. If you think of, um, go through like the mental model of, doodles uh, versus supreme right it's not about every single supreme customer uh being a holder it's about the initial group who was there at the first couple years of supreme where like no one knew what supreme was um and then fast forward to today i am like i'm 100 certain that if you were a holder early on of a supreme token and the brand then becomes a billion dollar brand, your token will be super valuable, especially if it has also, you know, a very unique perks associated with it, or it's just a collectible on its own. There's a lot of ways of thinking about it. But fundamentally, if the company becomes successful on a mainstream global scale, being an early holder, early supporter, early community member will have a great reward associated with it. So like fundamentally, you should want your project to be super successful the issue that happens is right now as projects grow and expand outside of yuga which yuga has given a lot of value back to its original holders it's part of what has birthed such a great loyalty to the project is because over and over and over again the value was given back to the users but like for a lot of projects you're expanding and not giving anything back to the users you're just throwing more people into the mix and so yes 
supply and demand, prices decline, and no one is happy about the expansion. And so it, it's a little bit like, it's not a question of what, because you do have to expand. It's a question of how you do it, how you communicate it, how you share value back with, with users, et cetera. One of the things I talk with people about a lot is you cannot be a hostage to your community. Like, yes, you want to serve your community. You want to have the community at the heart of everything that you're doing, but you can't be hostage to it because your early community is also not representative of the larger user. You also cannot... You kind of have to have a vision a little bit as a kind of a builder and 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 um and a creator in a way that you incorporate community feedback feedback, but you're not hostage to the community. I think um from a portfolio side, Tally Labs um has done an amazing job with that. Um they started with the Jenkins Devalet project um and then uh building out the Azurbala world. When they dropped the um kind of the initial artwork for the Azurbala, the community did not like it, and they've accepted kind of the that it was not the right direction. They've taken it all back. They've reworked it. Um, recently released kind of the new version um, with kind of the new um, new creative, and a community was very satisfied with that, right? And so it's just an interesting um, idea of <clears throat> you don't want to ignore your community. Uh, you very much want to. Um, Kind of incorporate its feedback. That's why I'm, but that's why I'm saying it's like it's a customer engagement tool more than anything else. And if you use it right, um, you're going to benefit, and the community is going to benefit. But if you use it in like a very extractive way, it's not going to work. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so now uh, let's talk a little bit about because most of these other types of communities that you uh, touched upon, the products and services, or however you put it, it's. A unique category that we call like IP storytelling, lore, all that stuff. Um, what I'm building is quite different, and I wonder. I'd like to get your your thoughts on that. Think about as a creator. I've been a LinkedIn top voice several years in a row. I wrote a book about the future of work that was um, endorsed by LinkedIn. You know, a big part of my career I built on LinkedIn. LinkedIn in the beginning it was like a place where people just dump their CV, but when LinkedIn went from dumping your CV to becoming social media, I was there early and I was creating video content. I also have built another business where like we build people's LinkedIn profiles with like their thought leadership, etc. So I personally have brought in so much money to LinkedIn by getting people to buy sales navigator, premium, you know, membership, etc. But I never got anything from that. Then when I came into Web3, I also saw Discord and I, I was like, I hated the the interface it was not built for web3 so i wanted to build a platform that would bring the best elements of linkedin and uh, also things like masterclass you know with like the on-demand content so that when somebody came on to into web3 let's say when you came in and you wanted to buy a community's token you could go to their channel and you could see all of their content like from like from day one you could go you could scroll down to like three years ago and their first ever town hall and you could watch that and you could see how this community has evolved and then you decide whether you want to buy their token you want to go into their community or not right now there isn't anything like that in web3 because when you want to buy a token you have to go on twitter and like there's like um, influencers and you don't know who to believe but if you, there was an archive of all of the content that this 
community has done from their Twitter spaces to their, you know, Discord content to their, you know, any kind of like live sessions they did. So you would have this beautiful library of all the content. So, so that's what I wanted to build. And then there's like all the other elements of we are going to be adding uh, the uh, social networking element to it and, uh, you know, more like a, a professional networking thing into it as well. So that's where I get stuck with the token model. And like part of me says, if there's a straight up monetization option, which is SaaS, that you as a creator, you come in, you pay a service. And as your community grows, that pay goes bigger because you use the platform more. That's the SaaS model. But then I also want to be able to reward um, the people who are using the platform. Uh, and and how do you go about both charging people and rewarding them with the token? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think you uh, you touched on it, which is you essentially are building a two-sided marketplace on that, right? It is the communities on one side and then the kind of the users and community members on the other. On the other. Um, and I think from the community side, the SaaS model is probably the one that has had the most success so far. It's what people are defaulting to. Uh, because you are providing a very tangible value to the community with this service, right? From the engagement, um, kind of com- fan engagement and community archives and this and that perspective. Um, and so there's real value. It's a value that community leaders can see. And, and therefore, there is a kind of a price point that probably makes sense versus, um, you know, the value you're providing versus how much a community needs to pay. And then you have the kind of the users on the other side. Um, and whether if you are, a, um, ideally, if you're a community member, you will be onboarded kind of for free, brought on by the community leaders, right? Whether it's because it's been posted on their Discord or Twitter or whatever, but um, you are kind of hoping for this B2B2C customer acquisition because um, by onboarding the communities, you should be onboarding kind of at least their most loyal um, supporters. And then there's this question of other kind of people coming into the ecosystem and discovering new communities and discovering new uh, new projects um, through the platform. And I think on the token like reward side perspective, um, it makes all the sense in the world, right? Like the, the recent data, um, YouGov and Consensus did the survey where I think it was something like 38% of people say that uh, they feel adequately compensated for value they create online, which is still a lot higher than I would have thought. And then something like 70% of people said that they want to share in the upside from brands using their data. And um, and so like that, like there is this desire to be like, yes, I'm creating a tangible value online uh, by using, by creating, and therefore um, I should be compensated for that. But I do think that um, the unfortunate other side of that is if you financialize it too much, then you invite the speculators, right? Like if there is too much money to be made from being an early uh, user, you just bought it up with fake users because there is money to be made. And so for me, like a good um, kind of a a test of um, kind of a token rewards is, would that still, would the platform still actually work if it didn't have token rewards? Uh, And if people love the quality and if they find value in it, like the reality is like the rewards don't need to be that high. You still want them there, but they need to be that high. Uh, And if anything, they are too high, you will create more problems than than you solve because of this financialization and um, and kind of the speculative aspect of it. Like anytime money is involved, um, speculators will come. 
And so then the only question um, that you're really need to solve for is the balance between um, you know, the emotional and like non-financial benefits versus the financial benefits. The financial benefits are a very important part of the overall ecosystem. Uh, but I think the more people come for the product for the other community members, and then the reward is just kind of a cherry on top, um, then uh, the more successful a platform ultimately becomes. Yeah, I agree. And and I wonder whether to begin with, it should not be a token. It should probably be some kind of a point system, a little bit like air miles, that then those air miles can be used within the platform. So for example, we are building a lot of premium features that uh, let's say, for example, a news feed that is taking uh, the Discord announcements of different communities and then is taking it and making it like, you know, short and, and like in three, two lines, and that will save you a lot of time. So if you are a premium member, you will be able to see, uh, scroll back all the way to like, say the last week um, or, or month or whatever. But if you are not a premium member, you can only see the last six hours, for example, yeah. right? So then it could be that, that uh, the point system will enable you to like save money on your premium subscription, right? Yes. I just think like the more we stay away from the hyper-financialization, because we've seen it, what happened with Blair, right? We've seen it with Looks Rare. I, I can't really see a scenario where Blur will be able to be a sustainable long-term play in the market. Maybe they can, but I find it really hard. And I just think that the, the distraction, the, the, the way that people are distracted by farming that token, it sort of takes away from the value that the, uh, the platform can actually create. The other I thing mean, incentive structures yeah. are so important, right? And I think that's the reality. The most exciting thing about Web3 is that you can create incentive structures. And the hardest thing about Web3 is that you create unintentional incentive structures. And so like, how do you think about the two? One of the models I like the most, um, especially in the current environment is um, essentially uh, NFT rewards or badge rewards where like, badges for different types of behaviors on the platform that are do not have any economic value today but down the line you can create um you know almost like an exchange systems where if you burn five badges you receive x and if you burn 10 badges you receive y and so it still stays on the kind of the web3 side of the um of the equation as far as you know if there is some uh, market value to these badges like they will be tradable and people will monetize that way but also you as a creator can create enough monetization uh, or rewards by allowing people to burn certain number of badges or certain types of badges for specific things down the line um so that's another thing that that works where um it's not kind of immediately financialized, but it still has the flexibility and it has the kind of ability to benefit from the upside down the line Amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So final question, let's talk about those badges because I love that. And we're uh, talking to Polygon. We want to eventually bring the, the platform to Polygon, but we want to try and completely abstract away the technology because, you know, we want to be able to onboard people from Web2 as well, yeah. but we, we just want to do it in a way that they don't have to connect wallets, but with those badges, what's your thoughts on whether 
it's a good idea to abstract away the technology so, so that people don't know, new people coming in, so they don't know that this is using the blockchain uh, as opposed to, no, no, it's important that we talk about the blockchain and they know that they are on the blockchain and this is like a Web3 thing. You know, how, how important do you think it is to do either or? Well, the more you target the Web3 native user, the more you want to be, you know, fully on the blockchain, fully transferable. The more you target the mainstream user, the less important it is, um, especially if you also have the flexibility or kind of plan to have flexibility on the line to for people to be able to port it into their own individual wallets, etc. And so I think the answer is a little bit of like it depends with the type of platform that you're building. Like, I don't think it's a mistake to abstract it away. Um, because you care so much more about kind of usage and growth. And again, um, you can always add that functionality down the line, especially if it's, you know, actually already the blockchain. Ticketmaster is a good example of that. They have uh, partnered with NBA teams for um, collectibles uh, from attending the games. And I have claimed every single one of my, you know, Boston Celtics um, NFTs through the Ticketmaster platform. There is nothing I can do with them. I cannot transfer them out of the Ticketmaster account. They don't seem like NFTs. They don't feel like NFTs. They have no real value to me, like the way NFTs should. But down the line, but they are NFTs. And so down the line, there's a lot of uh, that can be done with it. And I, I mean, I have a little bit of the... Um, um, attachment to it because I know that the Celtics team is actively thinking about what they can do down the line with that product for the holders, etc. And so I think that's uh, one of those things where um, you can always kind of decentralize it more and make it more flexible, more transferable down the line. But the more you can remove the friction to uh, for onboarding people, the better it is if you are targeting the mainstream user. 100% because we one thing we learned was that even with Web3 people, the friction was like really annoying to them. You know, yeah. in the beginning, for example, we were insisting that people connect with token proof and they hated it. They were like, you know, this was so, um, so difficult. They were like, just give me the MetaMask. I don't want to do that, you know, but now we have built a Discord bot. So we have the now we have the MetaMask, we have connect, uh, wallet, uh, wallet Connect, we have got token proof. It's like all of the options. But in addition to that, we built a Discord bot that communities can put it in, into their Discord. And then um, it's called, called like a jump bot, an epic jump bot. And then people can, uh, uh, can literally just click on that and jump directly into the channel uh, in, into the platform. So it goes to show that even for Web3 people, um, people hate friction. And if yes. we can, whatever we can do to uh, take away the friction, that's that's the best. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really great. Is there any uh, final thoughts you have that you want to share with people on the current state of the market so that people can sleep better at night? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think fundamentally, if you start everything with the who is your target customer and how are you providing them with value? Like a lot of problems get solved from there, right? It's not really fundamentally about the tech. It's about what value are you providing to the users? And, and so I think from that perspective, um, you know, the specifics around how to grow, how to onboard people, how to monetize, like a lot of that gets a lot easier when you have a tangible value that you can easily explain to people and that people see the value and experience the value and, and it's not just something they're told 
but something that they actually um kind of see in practice um the, the the better and so i think that's the lens that i wish uh you know more entrepreneurs took where it's less about the tech and it's less about innovation it's more fundamentally about what value are you providing to your target customer 100% well thank you so much max for sharing your perspective i found it super helpful and i'm sure other people will too thanks so much for having me I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Max Kala. Be sure to follow her on Twitter if you don't already and keep up with her great work. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.